Welcome back, fight fans, to episode number 278 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you're checking me out live. As always, I remind you guys, make sure you're subscribed here to the Ring Digital YouTube. Make sure you click the notification bells so you never miss a live show. Make sure you subscribe to my channel, Montero Unboxing. And if you prefer to listen to the audio podcast, make sure that you're subscribed to Wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, Montero Unboxing, my platforms, I am on all the platforms around the world. So make sure that you subscribe. Just look for Montero Unboxing, the neutral corner. You will find me. Of course, we always ask you guys to leave a rating, a review, click the thumbs up. All that good stuff helps me out, all right? Because this is a word of mouth podcast. And guess what? You're watching this on The Rings YouTube channel, all right? I, I forget to mention this sometimes. There's no ads here. This is the only boxing podcast on a platform as reputable as The Ring with no ads. You guys are never bombarded with ads. Think of all the other shows that you watch and you're getting ads all the time, right? You're watching me live right now. No ads. You could come back and watch this video later. No ads. That's a big deal. All right. That's me looking out for you guys. So I ask you to look out for me in return. That's also The Ring agreeing to that shit. Okay. So the folks at the ring, the executives over at the ring, the people in charge, they agreed to that. That's pretty cool. Take care of us, man. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you click in the thumbs up. All right. Let's take care of each other. Also, I should mention there is a tropical storm coming through. It might be a hurricane by now. I don't know. They were saying it might turn into a hurricane. I'm in Atlanta. You know, we're just North of Florida. And this was another one come through the Gulf side. I think that's hitting right now. And it is a monsoon outside, okay? It is pouring outside. It is pitch black, dark, and raining crazy outside right now. So if uh, if the stream goes out in the middle of the show, it's not me taking the knee. It's not me quitting on the stool. I promise it's not me, okay? I'm just I'm saying this because the power could go out at any second. A tree could topple all the power lines, and that's it. That would be the weather god's stopping the fight prematurely okay i promise it's not me giving up on you guys all right tnc 278 for the week of august 21st let's get right into this man let's get the show going let's get the party started with some news and or notes and uh unfortunately we got more fights being postponed the can being kicked down the road Errol Spence is out of the fight with Manny Pacquiao, which we'll be previewing, obviously, later on in the show. David Benavidez is uh, his fight with Jose, whose category is, as far as I know, it might be rescheduled. I don't know for sure. Uh, if you guys have heard something, let me know. I might be overlooking the news. I have got a million things going on right now, so I may have just not seen it. But as far as I know, that Benavidez, whose category fight is not happening. So he's out because of COVID, at least for right now. Spence is out because of the eye. And um, look, some people are questioning whether Spence's eye injury is legit or not. I can tell you guys, I, I take him at his word, okay? I, I If he tore a retina, or I'm sorry, scratched a retina, uh, a minor tear or something, like, it's a big deal because it could turn into a detached retina. And if you're Errol Spence and you're going into a fight with Pacquiao, yeah, he's 42 years old. He's coming off a two-year layoff. He's still Manny Pacquiao. And you're the A-side. And that fight is set up at the PBC A-side, I should say. 
you that fight is set up for uh, Spence to win, right? This is a passing of the torch. This is supposed to be a big coming out party to him, to more of the casual fans. He's going to be in front of casual fans' eyes for the first time, uh, certain casual fans. So he wants to be 100%. So, look, I, I take him at his word, okay? And I wish him the best of luck. It remains to be seen how he heals from this. Some people, of course, there cons- there's conspiracy theories saying, well, he hurt the eye in the car accident. Maybe this is like leftovers from that car accident and the eye is more susceptible to injury now. We'll find out. But if you have a torn or, or scratched retina, okay, uh, I, I would I would sit out the fight too. I mean, Errol Spence ain't hurting for money. And down the line, he's going to get the winner. Pacquiao's probably going to win. We'll talk about that in a second. But even if Ugas does win, then Spence fights Ugas early next year on Fox pay-per-view. You guys know how it is. As far as Benavidez goes, um, I don't really give a shit that that fight's off. I don't care. It wasn't a good fight. Uzkategui, or uh, there's a million different ways I've heard his name pronounced. Um, Decent fighter, solid fighter. Is he a top 10 super middleweight? No, I don't think so. Maybe top 15, top 20 at this point, but hasn't really proven himself to me uh, as the uh, top 10 guy. And I don't want to see Benavidez fight him. I want to see Benavidez fight Plant or some of some other top five super middleweight. So I'm not really bummed about that fight not coming through. I'm bummed for everybody that was involved in the card, you know, all the undercard fighters and everybody that's working their butts off because, you know, when you work your ass off to, to be in a fight and it's taken from you, that hurts. You know, it hurts people in their wallet. But also man, some of these guys are putting in six months of work training, getting their weight down, whatever it is for this opportunity. And then, you know, it blows up. So, so I do feel bad, of course, but that fight should have never been made anyway. And that gets me to the greater point. Are any of these postponements that have taken place this summer, are any of them really that big of a loss guys? The third fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, is that really the fight we wanted anyway? Most of us didn't want that fight again. We wanted to see Wilder fight somebody like Andy Ruiz, get back in the win column, and then maybe go after the top heavyweight. We wanted to see Tyson Fury fight Anthony Joshua, and they were actually negotiating. Those two camps were legitimately talking to each other, and there was investment. There were people interested in putting on that fight. I'm not saying it was a done deal and it was signed or whatever, but it was it was close. They were talking. That's the fight we wanted, right? So I. I didn't really want to see Fury and Wilder again. It's a good fight. I'm not saying it's a, it's, it's a bad fight. It's, of course it's a good fight. Anytime those two fight, I will watch. But that's not the fight we wanted. So when that fight got postponed, yeah, it was kind of a buzzkill because there's no fights going you know, that weekend. But it's not the fight we wanted. It's the same thing with uh, Tiafima Lopez and George Cambosis. Quality fight. I'm not saying it's a bad fight. It's a mandatory fight. Did it belong on pay-per-view? You know, Triller grossly overpaid. They're losing their ass on that event. They're learning the hard way, you know, the boxing business right now uh, with everything they're going through with that event. But is it really that devastating that that fight is being delayed? It's It sucks that Tiafiba Lopez, one of the bright stars in the sport, isn't fighting. And all the momentum he had last year is pretty much kaput. It's gone. So that sucks. 
But it's not like this was a fight between Tiafima Lopez or a rematch with Lomachenko or a fight between him and Devin Haney or him and Ryan Garcia, him and Javante Davis. Those are the fights we want to see. That's not what this was. This is a mandatory fight. So all these fights getting postponed, even Spence Pacquiao. And I get it. People are bummed out. People are like, oh, man, because this was the one fight left on the schedule that everyone was looking forward to, the one big fight. I said there's a fight next month that's even bigger between Joshua and Usyk, but that's just me. But this wasn't the fight we wanted. You know what I'm saying? We wanted to see Errol Spence fight Terrence Crawford. That's what we want to see. We want to see, do we want to see Manny Pacquiao fight? If you do, okay. But did you? were any of us clamoring for a fight between him and Errol Spence? No. So all these postponements, while they're good quality matchups, they're not the fights that we wanted anyway. So as bummed as I am, as gutted as I am, that these postponements keep happening, and it's kind of indicative of where boxing is at right now, the business, uh, which is in a really bad place. We're having a very down year, guys. Like, like I defend boxing more than just about anybody on earth. This shit is pretty hard to defend, right? We are just stepping on our own dick over and over and over this year. But I got to say, none of these postponements were really truly big, epic fights that all of us have been wanting to see for years and years. Not one of them. Not one of them. So let's keep it in perspective. All right. Uh, talking about perspective, uh, the WBA suspends Gloria Martinez Rizzo for six months and asked the Minnesota commission to change the fight, the, the robbery that took place last week on a PBC card, uh, to a no contest. So this now, there's all sorts of conspiracy theories I've seen out there that uh, the WBA president, Gilberto Mendoza, um, he manages Maestre, and now he has denied that. So there is zero evidence for that. He has denied it. But there's ev- there, there's people talking about that sort of stuff, right? There, there, there's conspiracy theories and on all this. Everyone's talking about the suspension, which I told you, by the way, that the judges would get six months. I, I told you guys that. But everyone's talking about, you know, th- this this woman judge who who horrible card, but even worse than that, some really terrible tweets just seems to be overall a shitty human being. Who knows? Maybe she's worked at it and she's a better person now. Maybe she saw the error of her ways and she's a better person. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. I get I don't know this woman. Never met her. OK, but I told you guys six months is what was going to happen. There are people, again, on Twitter and stuff saying, oh, this isn't enough. We need more. They need to, you know, chain her up, you know, and throw her into the ocean with bricks on her legs. There are people wanting, you know, her burned at the stake. But again, people are losing focus of the bigger issue here. Okay. All three judges, let me just remind all of you all three judges ripped off Michael Fox. All three, not just one, all three. And this was collusion between the WBA. Even if they don't manage the the main event fighter who won, it's obvious if you look at their ratings, the theme with them and the PBC, there was collusion between the the WBA, the PBC, and they all worked together to justify what took place in that fight. That's the bigger story. All three judges ripped this kid off, not just the bigot with a bunch of shitty tweets, not just that person. All of them, even the people who aren't bigots, 
ripped off the kid. Okay. That's the story that everyone should be focused on. But because of the political climate we're in, everyone's focusing on this one piece of it, which is important. I'm not trying to downplay it, but the bigger part in a boxing context is the corruption and collusion between the WBA and the PBC and how all this was allowed to happen in the first place. That is the story. No one's talking about it. So uh, these judges will get six months. Maybe Minnesota will change it to a no contest. I think it's ridiculous that the WBA even has to ask Minnesota to do that. The WBA should have something in their own bylaws to protect themselves and the fighters in situations like these where they can declare it a no contest or at least have more power to influence the commission to do, you know, to take action. So if this gets changed to a no contest, they end up doing a rematch. Okay. Six months from now, let's go a year from now. These judges are working again. They're back in the system and they do a second fight. Let's say this time, let's just say for the sake of argument, Maestre learns on the job and narrowly edges out of a, a, a W over Michael Fox. Well, long-term, okay, over the next couple of years, how does that play down the line in terms of business and, and purses for both of those men? How does that play out for what they earn and how they feed their families, right? All of that, to me, is the bigger story here. And people are losing sight of that. But Again, that's just where we live today in this world of insanity. All right, let's get into the fight review, shall we? I see a couple of you guys in the line. Hang out. Sit tight. We'll get to you later. All right, we got a lot to talk about. Honestly, those of you on the phone, you might want to uh, hang up and call back later because I, I got a lot to review and preview, okay? So um, also, if you're sitting there on hold, that's costing me money. So it's, it's, it's better if you hang up and call back later. I'm just saying. But you're more than welcome to sit there on hold and listen to me on the phone. All right. Um, so there are four cards of note last Saturday, August 14th. Let's start over in the UK at Matchroom Fight Camp in Brentwood. And, of course, this is broadcast on The Zone. Um, in the co-main, Michael McKinson, unanimous decision win over a Premislav Ronofsky, a uh, 10-round welterweight fight. And then the main event, Joshua Boazzi, TKO 11 win over Latvian fighter Richard Bolotniks in a 12-round light heavyweight fight. Boazzi dropped Bolotniks in the 6th and 11th rounds before the fight was stopped. He was also deducted a point in the 8th for low blows. So this was a tougher fight for Boazzi than some predicted because a lot of us, most of us, maybe all of us, outside of Latvia, had no idea uh, what to expect from Bolotniks. We, we, we didn't know what he was going to bring, right? So, but he brought it. He was a tough guy, rugged, went rounds. And this was just the kind of fight that Boazzi really, really needed uh, to learn from. I, I think this was terrific matchmaking. Somebody at Matchroom did their homework on this one and, and uh, it worked out. So I, I kind of look at this fight Sort of the way uh, when Tiafima Lopez fought uh, Nakatani. It's not exactly the same, but similar. Um, I think Boazzi had a little more trouble maybe in this fight, but he also had um, more uh, explosive punches, and he got his guy out of there. He dropped him, and that's something Lopez couldn't do. 
But that fight for Tiafimo, that was a fight that kind of got him over the hump and ready to really contend. And I think this similar kind of situation with Boazzi, not that he's ready to contend for a legitimate world title quite yet, but this was def- he definitely went up another step with, with this performance. This was a good, solid learning performance for him. All right, let's come here to the States, and let's start in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Top rank on ESPN Plus from the Hard Rock in Tulsa. Uh, triple header here from top rank with some quality fights, man. Um, let's talk about the the two Maloney brothers. Jason Maloney coming off that KO7 loss to Inouye last October. Gets a unanimous decision win over Joshua Greer Jr. in a bantamweight fight. Looked pretty good in that fight. And then the third fight between Joshua Franco and Andrew Maloney. This is for one of the regular WBA titles, uh, junior bantamweight. Uh, Franco gets the W, 116-112 all three times. Those were good scorecards. He won this fight legitimately competitive but decisive win for Franco. So uh, he settled the score here, right? There was controversy in that rematch in November. It was a no decision because of the headbutt. Maloney had a good start in that fight. Well, Franco looked pretty good here. Maloney looked good too, but, but Franco clearly just the better fighter of the two. And he's really grown in these three fights with Andrew Maloney. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here. And then Arnold Barboza Jr., uh, a light welterweight prospect out of California, improves to 26-0 with a unanimous decision win over Antonio Moran. The thing that's going to hurt Barboza, that he does a lot of things well, interesting fighter, interesting prospect, but only 10 knockouts in 26 fights, just does not have that game-changing power. And that is going to cost him at the elite level. Right now, there's some a few really good fighters at 140. They're going to be moving up soon to 147. That's going to leave an opening. And Barboza is going to have an opportunity. Don't be surprised if he fights for the WBO title because he is a top-ranked fighter. But um, And, you know, the WBO stands for We're Bob's Organization, remember? But remember, man, Tifima Lopez, you know, he's going to be moving up from 35 to 40. So maybe we end up seeing Lopez and Barboza for the vacant WBO 140 title at some point next year. I'd welcome that shit. That's a good fight. It's an interesting matchup. But Barboza just doesn't have the power to keep somebody like Tio off of him. So that's the way I see it anyway. All right. In Texas, which is just south of Oklahoma, Golden Boy Promotions on the zone from the Ford Center in Frisco, um, close to the Dallas area, right? And Virgil Ortiz Jr., is uh, out of the Dallas area himself. So he's a hometown kid in front of his hometown fans. Golden Boy has done very well bringing some cards over to Texas in the Dallas area with Virgil Ortiz. They've been smart. They need to really put everything they got into this kid. He is the future of Golden Boy promotions. It is not Ryan Garcia. I've been saying this for a minute, but I feel like I need to repeat it. Ryan Garcia is going to make money in the short term, maybe pretty big money at some point because of his social media profile and he's a really good looking kid and all that. I get it. But long term, 10 years down the road over the next decade, I really think Virgil Ortiz Jr. is going to do big, big things for Golden Boy. And he's going to open the doors for the young kids that are going to come up after him. I just think that they really, really, really need to take care of this kid and make sure they're taking care of this kid. He is the future of that promotional company. He truly is. 
And he scored a KO8 win over Igadijus Kavaliauskas in a 12-round welterweight fight last Saturday to improve to, I think, uh, what, 17-0? 23 years old. Uh, maybe now maybe now I think it's 18-0. Anyway, I think four knockdowns in the fight, I believe. Was it four or five? I can't remember off the top of my head. I think four. Um, and Ortiz went eight rounds for the first time. So even though this was kind of one-sided, I mean, early on, Kavaliauskas won the first couple rounds, right? And then Ortiz had to turn it up, and he did. He responded very well. But much like the, the fight I talked about, Buatzi and Belotniks, and Tiafima Lopez and Nakatani, <clears throat> this fight, Mean Machine and Ortiz, really gave Ortiz so far his biggest push, right? He had to raise his, his level. And you could see the difference between Ortiz and somebody like Buatzi, who went 11 rounds with Belotniks, Ortiz got a better fighter out of there in eight rounds. Virgil Ortiz is the goods, ladies and gentlemen. This kid is going to win titles in multiple weight classes. I'm saying it right now, and I've been saying it. So I'm very high on this kid, but uh, very exciting performance. The fans that were in attendance there at the, the Ford Center in Frisco, Texas, they got their money's worth. They were happy. They were very, very happy with the result. Not so in California. Let's jump over to this last fight card. PBC on Showtime, TGB Promotions, uh, put it on Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson. This was a bantamweight card, top to bottom. Uh, not just the triple header on Showtime, but even a couple, I think, of the undercard fights were bantamweight fights. So this was a heavy bantamweight fight. Also, there was a lot of WBA presence there, which, you know, what did I say right at the beginning of this, this show between the PBC and the WBA? Uh, these these two companies are absolutely in business together. Let's start with the TV opener. And by the way, I covered this event for uh, ringtv.com. I put up a recap there. You guys are more than willing to check it out. I'm curious if you go there and read it, what your thoughts are. Because I tried to speak fairly about what took place at the main event without being overly negative. Uh, but I hope I was fair, firm but fair. And I'd like to get your guys' input on if I played that right. You know, if I got it just right there. Because I, there's a couple sentences I'm like, yeah, I should take this sentence out, take that sentence out, where it's just a little too much. Because, um, look, anything can happen in a prize fight. But th th that main event was bad. Anyway, let's start with the TV opener. Roche Warren, former bantamweight titleist, three-time Olympian, had a great amateur career. More of an amateur style, uh, but ha hasn't had the punching power as a pro. But in this fight, he sure did. Uh, just completely overmatched was Damian Vasquez. Got dropped a couple times in the first round. Uh, got hurt bad from a beautiful counter left hand from the Southpaw Ward in the second round. And that caused the referee to immediately call off the action. So great performance from Mache Warren, who I think is number one at 118 pounds with the WBA. I'm going to be saying WBA a lot, uh, mentioning this card. So he could be in line for one of the 5,000 WBA Bantamweight titles at some point. I should mention on the undercard, Juan Carlos Payano, another former title holder, might have been WBA, I can't remember for sure, uh, another Bantamweight title holder. He got a W, and Brandon Lee, undefeated prospect, friend of the show, he got a KO1. And I believe this was his first pro fight in California where he's from. So this was a big deal for him. 
in the co-main, this, this was a bummer, man, because I was actually looking forward to this fight. This was the one fight on the card I really thought could steal the show between Gary Antonio Russell and Emmanuel Rodriguez, who had lost two in a row coming in, but very experienced fighter, uh, good amateur, solid professional resume, had been in there with some really top elite-level fighters. And I think he was going to give Gary Antonio Russell one of those type of tough fights I talked about with Buatzi, Balotniks, with Ortiz, Kavliowskis. He was going to push him a little bit and force uh, Russell to show us something. I really thought that could happen in this fight. But a huge headbutt right at the beginning. I, I think this thing, it was only like 20 seconds in, maybe not even. I think it, 16 seconds in, if I remember correctly. Check my article because I put it there. But um, the head clash of heads. Rodriguez got the worst of it, cut on the bridge of his nose. His nose looked like it could probably maybe be broken, so his breathing was impaired, and the pain had to be bad. When you get hit right there on that bone, right on the bridge, that could cause that blinding kind of pain where, like, shit goes white, you know, and your vision kind of goes. And that's why I think he dropped to his, his knees and kind of rolled around the canvas for a minute because that kind of pain, especially where the impact happened, can affect your vision. And I'm only guessing. I have no idea, but I'm assuming that's what happened there. Anyway, this rule of no decision. Uh, the guys couldn't go on. It is what it is. It sucks. It sucks, but that's just indicative of boxing in 2021, man. It's been a rough run, guys. Now, let's talk about this main event. John Rael Casimero narrows, narrowly beats, uh, split decision, beats Guillermo Rigando. And by the way, I've been saying Rigandiao because that's how I was told to pronounce it all during this broadcast. The entire broadcast team kept saying Rigando. So I will say Rigando from here on henceforth because uh, that's the way they were saying it. So I've heard this name pronounced 8 billion different ways. We're going to go with Rigando. By the way, Moral Ronaldo keeps trying to call that arena, that venue, I should say, the Punch Bowl. That's not the fucking name, Morrow. I love you. It's not the name. Call it the war grounds. That's what people who actually live in LA and attend those fights and pay for the tickets call it. It's called the war grounds. The punch bowl, it ain't catching on, bro. And I know you've seen the tweets because I know you pay attention. I know you've heard people say that shit sucks. Listen to the people, okay? It's not the punch bowl. It's the war grounds. Anyway, boy, did this fight fucking suck. That's all I can say. Uh, and look, Okay, but let's go with the scores here. Tim Cheatham saw it 115-113 for Rigando. Robert Hoyle, 117-111, Casimero. Daniel Sandoval, 116-112, also for the Filipinos. So some people didn't like those scores. Some people were like, oh, man, Rigando got ripped off. Some people thought, oh, it should have been unanimous decision for Casimero. A lot of people thought this should have been a no contest or a draw. I have no issue with any damn score, guys. This is probably the only time you're going to hear me say this. Here's an exclusive, okay? I don't give a shit if you had this 120-108 Rigo or 120-108 Casimero or anything in between those two scores. Don't give a fuck. This was a terrible fight to watch and a very difficult fight to score because I get the boxing science people out there. And believe me, I'm a purist. I can appreciate boxing science. Hit, don't get hit, right? Rigo is pretty good at not getting hit, but he wasn't doing very good at hitting. 
According to CompuBox, I know you guys can't stand it out there, but just hear me out. According to CompuBox, I think they credited Rigo with landing 44 punches and Casimiro with 47. Most of Casimiro's punches were power punches, though, and Rigo's, you know, a good portion of them were jabs. Anyway, punching was essentially even. So hear me out. If Rigo had done his track meet thing, where he's on his bicycle for 12 rounds, literally turning his back to Casimiro several times around while he ran, okay, not taking a, a shuffle or two backwards, I'm talking about eight or nine steps in one direction before changing directions. Guys, that's motherfucking running, okay? That's not boxing. That's running. When you turn your back and take about eight steps in one direction, that is running. Anyway, if Rigo would have landed just two more punches around, just two, his punch output goes from 44 to 68. If you would look at the punch numbers and you saw 68 punches landed versus 47, I think that would be enough to give Rigo a couple swing rounds. I think he wins the fight. He only needed to land two more punches per round in this fight to have won it on my card anyway, but he didn't do it. Neither fighter landed more than 10 punches in this entire fight. Neither fighter. They both combined for, I believe it was 91 punches. And CompuBox said this, this isn't coming from me. This is from CompuBox, the message that they sent to all the media people said right on there. The low, that was the lowest amount of punches landed total combined punches landed in CompuBox history for a 12 round fight. That's from CompuBox, not from me. All right. So that's not me hating. That's from them. So you had in this fight, one guy running, trying to avoid getting hit, trying to survive, making his opponent miss wildly at times and look amateurish at times. But the other guy, Casimiro, was trying to make the fight. He was being the aggressor, right? And yes, Rigo was making him miss plenty of times, but he really wasn't making him pay. There was an occasional pot shot, uh, you know, good shot right down the middle that snapped Casimiro's head back, but it was one at a time. Neither guy really threw in combo. In fact, actually, the only guy who did was Casimiro. He did throw some combos, and he landed some in the second half of the fight. Not huge shots or anything like that, but it was enough to move Rigo, push him back, force him to reset, and get on the bike. Rigo didn't land a damn combination the entire fight. So who do you give the, the round to? Do you give it to the guy that's running away, surviving, and maybe landing a pot shot or two? Or do you give it to the guy who's trying, not very effectively, not cutting off the ring very well because he's not as skilled of a fighter as the other man, but he's trying. Who do you give the round to? Also, championship rounds, 10, 11, 12. The guy that was pressing the action and raising his level was Casimiro. I saw him be a little more effective in those championship rounds and push a little harder than he had earlier in the fight. He made that push. Rigo did the same thing in the 11th round, the 12th round that he had done in the first and the second round. Literally the same thing. There was no raising of the stakes. There was no, all right, let me shoot my wad. Let me empty the gas tank, right? Casimiro was coming to the corner, almost puking in between rounds because he was emptying his gas tank. He really was giving it everything he had. So anyway, I mentioned all this because, I, again, 
if you want to give the round to Rigo because you saw, well, he didn't get hit. Okay, cool. If you want to give the round to Casimiro because he was trying to force the fight and being the aggressor, okay, cool. This fight could have been a draw to me. It literally could have been a no contest. The one thing I will say is one guy, what I saw is one guy trying to win. I saw another guy trying to survive and not get hit. That's the difference. So if I'm going to edge this fight to either guy, it's going to be Casimiro. I'm just glad it's over with. And I want to stay for the record. A lot of people out there accuse me of being a Rigado hater. You know, of course, this, that, the other. You can't criticize or speak the truth about anything anymore without being called a hater. I've been more than fair to Rigando. In fact, for those of you who actually follow my work, you know, I did a preview piece on this fight and it was supposed to be in the magazine. It got messed up when PBC changed the scheduling and everything. You guys know all that. I've repeated it for weeks. It ended up, that preview story ended up going on Ring TV's website last week as a, an advance on the fight, a preview for the fight. So I took that original article. I had to update it a little bit. But with all those quotes, I had talked to Rigado and his team. I had talked to Casimiro and his team. So I previewed the fight. I promoted the fight. And I chose that assignment when uh, it came to which fights I was, which card I was going to cover last weekend for the site. I, originally, I was offered the Virgil Ortiz card. And I would have jumped at that because that was a way better fight, much more fun event. you know. But I thought, I should cover the Rigando Casimiro fight because I'm familiar with these guys. I've been following this fight. I've been following the, the arc there, that story. And I've talked to both fighters in their camps. So I chose that assignment. Yes, I literally chose to, to cover that fight. So, you know, in fairness, man, I've covered Rigo fairly. I've promoted his events. And a lot of people gave up on the dude after the Lomachenko loss because it was so bad. Um, here it is. I covered this event, interviewed the guy, gave him a fair shake. It's just, dude, he stunk out the joint. You can't fight like that as a bantamweight too, man, and expect uh, people to line up to see your fights. And this dude has gotten opportunity after opportunity. Let's not pretend that he got one chance, blew it, and that was it. This dude fought for a title very quickly in his pro career. Top rank lined him up into a title shot. They put him in there against the fighter of the year, Nonito Donaire, Filipino-American fighter of the year, a guy that top rank could market and make a shitload of money off of. They put Rigondeaux in the ring with him. Would PBC have done that? Come on, guys. Would they? Would they have done that? <clears throat> top rank did. And Rigo. I mean, Donaire had moments in that fight, but Rigo clearly decisively beat him, right? But stunk out the joint. So, so he got opportunities years ago. And this is a guy that's gotten multiple opportunities since then. But in this case, I think these judges punished him for not trying to win versus him simply just trying to make his guy miss and trying to survive. I think the fans booed and all that, but these judges were... They went against him and scored it to the other guy for trying. Not that Casimiro really proved he was this amazing fighter in that fight, but he's only the second guy in, as a pro to defeat Guillermo Rigondeaux. That's a pretty big deal. Now, did I see anything in this fight that makes me believe Casimiro is going to beat Nonito Donaire, let alone Naoya Inoue, who he called after the fight? No, I don't see that. 
I think Donair is going to beat Casemiro. I do think they're going to fight. Perhaps at the very end of this year, early next year, go right back to the same venue and fight. Uh, that'll be a great one. That'll be very, very fun to watch, a Filipino grudge match. But I think Donair is going to beat him. I, I just do. Um, much different styles in that fight, obviously. But I just didn't see anything in this fight that showed me, you know, I expected Casemiro to cut the ring off and try to chop the old man down. He tried. He just wasn't very good at it. And maybe we'll find out he was injured, compromised. I don't know. But, guys, if Rigondeau had been in the ring against Naoya Inoue, do you think he would have got away with running like that for 12 rounds? No. I think Inoue would have knocked out this version of Rigondeau. I truly, truly believe that. So levels, levels to the game, son. That's what we always say, right? Super chat pledge from my man, Ray Valero. Thank you so much, Ray. He said, uh, agree, Mike, horrible fight, but Rigo did not deserve to go home with a belt. I'm actually cool if it's a draw and Casemiro still comes home with his belt. Yeah, I would have been totally fine with a draw, man. Absolutely would have been cool with a draw because neither man really, really earned a W, in my opinion. But again, I will say, if there was one guy that tried to win, it was Casemiro. I just I didn't see uh, Rigo trying to win, especially those championship rounds where it was clear Casemiro was emptying the tank and letting it all hang out and landing a couple combinations here and there. So all in all, if you're going to edge it to one guy, you're going to edge it to Casemiro. Uh, Benildo says, uh, excellent and fair commentary. I agree with you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. John Uden says, even Rodney Shields felt Rigo was giving away rounds and losing the fight. Dude, that's a great point. I forgot to mention that. Ronnie Shields, a very honest man, very honest trainer, one of the best in the business. He was imploring Guillermo Rindo to punch more, to stand in the center of the ring and trade. And he wasn't just saying that one round, two rounds. He was saying that for most of the fight. Like, I, I feel like in the middle rounds, he started saying that after every round. He's like, dude, stand there and punch. You're giving these rounds away. Ronnie Shields kept saying that, all right? It's not just me. It's not just people on Twitter hating. Ronnie Shields was saying that, and he was getting paid by Rigondeau to train him and help him win. So the guy literally paying him, he was telling him, hey, man, you got to step it up. So I don't get much more honest than that, guys. It's not hating. It's not, oh, go watch bum fights. Go watch UFC. You know, you don't, you just can't appreciate boxing craft and sophistication. Dude, no, no. Chris Bird, remember him? Undersized heavyweight in the previous era. That dude could stand right in front of you and make you miss and then touch you. And yeah, maybe the shots aren't going to hurt the big, big super heavyweights. Like when he fought uh, Vitaly or Vladimir Klitschko, some of the other guys. But he could stand right there and, and trade with you. Would he back up? Would he be on the back foot? Would he use lateral movement? Of course, he had to. But that dude would stand in the pocket with you and trade, and he could hurt you, uh, touch you, make you miss, touch you, and get out. Pernell Whitaker, okay? Guillermo Rigondeau. Rigondeau. I keep saying Rigondeau. Rigondeau is no Pernell Whitaker. Guillermo Rigondeau is no Floyd Mayweather. No, no, no. No, sir. All right? So stop with that. Just stop. Anyway. All right. Let's get to this fight preview. Here we go. 
All right. Uh, this Friday, August 20th, Shavkat Zon Rakhimov, who had a draw with uh, Joseph Diaz Jr. back in February, is fighting Japanese fighter Kenichi Ogawa in Dubai for the vacant IBF 130-pound title. I don't believe that's going to be broadcast anywhere. No one's picked that up, but it is a title fight going on in Dubai. So that's happening. Also, uh, Debella Entertainment card on UFC Fight Pass from California. Two women's 140-pound title fights. So maybe the winners of those two fights next time around will fight each other in unified titles. That would be cool. Saturday, August 21st, one big card of note. Let's talk about this. All right, uh, TGB Promotions and MP, Manny Pacquiao Promotions, in a, uh, working together, of course, with PBC. This is going to be on Fox Pay-Per-View. And we'll get to the main event in a second. Let's quickly talk about this undercard, which I got to say, guys, not exactly the strongest pay-per-view undercard we've seen from PBC recently. And they've had a couple good ones in some of their pay-per-views recently, right? But this pay-per-view is pretty bad. That's because this is all about the main event. 99% of the money here go into the main event because of who's fighting in the main event. But uh, Victor Ortiz versus Robert, Robert Guerrero in a welterweight fight. No, no, you did not travel back to 2012. It is still 2021. 20, Just making sure you guys remember. Uh, but yeah, these two guys, let's look at uh, Ortiz. He has lost four or he did lose four of six fights from 2011 to 2016, right? That's when he was kind of being recycled by PBC. He fought Floyd first, right? And then that whole debacle, the way that fight ended was insane. And then lost four of six fights from there over the next five years. He has won 0-1 since. So in other words, he's had two fights since 2016. Last fought in 2018. Again, reminder, this is 2021 that you're currently in, okay? Now, Robert Guerrero, lost five of seven fights from 2013 to 2017. He was another one of these PBC guys that they kind of used to build up other fighters off of. Mexican-American, it was easy for them to market and kind of milk that fan base. And uh, that's what they used Guerrero for. He got paid for it, but that's what they used him for. Starting, of course, with Floyd Mayweather. Somehow that Floyd Mayweather fight was on pay-per-view, believe it or not. And uh, anyway, he lost five of seven fights, 2013 to 2017. He is 3-0 and since. He's had three fights since 2017. A reminder, this is 2021. But all three of those fights were against Journeyman. He has also had no fights in two years. So why are these two fighting right now? I guess it's a cash out. I, I, I don't know, man. This is, this is rough. This is going to be rough and ugly. Now, style-wise, because of where these guys are at, it could be a lot of fun. The fans in attendance there in Las Vegas – the Mexican and American fans who are going to be there, they're going to love this one, but it could also be really, really ugly. What undercard was it where John Molina fought his last fight? Let me, let me check this out real quick, guys. I want to say it was Spence Porter, but let me double check. He fought Jose Cito Lopez. Um, yes, it was a Spence Porter. And that was a very similar situation to this where Lopez clearly had more gas in the tank and just beat the hell out of John Molina, who's an awesome guy. And um, it was kind of ugly, right? And that, that's, that might be how this Ortiz-Guerrero fight ends up. Ray Valero, real quick, with another super chat. Thanks, Ray. He, uh, he asked, do you think the first round caused Rigando to run 
That's a good question. So guys, in the first round, real quick to go back to last weekend, last Saturday, in the first round, uh, Casemiro did kind of catch up with Rigo against the ropes, uh, landed the shot to the back of the head, and Rigo kind of ducked down, ended up kind of taking a knee, um, putting his one of his gloves on the canvas and taking a knee, and then Casemiro landed a couple more shots to the back of the head. They were love taps, but they were technically illegal punches, obviously. Referee was late to react to it. He did give Casabero a stern warning. He said, do that shit again. You're out of here. But it was probably too soon to take a point. But it was like, you do this again, dude. You're disqualified. I mean, that was a, almost a disqualifiable offense. Perhaps that made Regan Doe run a little bit. Perhaps he said, hey, man, I don't like what, what's in front of me here. And I got to move a little bit. I don't want to get hit like that again. This dude's a little rough around the edges. He's not afraid to get dirty in here. But I, I just think that at some point, Rigo knew this guy is strong. I don't want to take punches from him. My best opportunity here is to move and make him miss, which is smart. I get it. But you also got to punch back. You got to put some leather on him. All right. We got another super chat pledge from Agro Shaolin. Thank you so much. He said, Mike wanted to call in, but unable to. But do you think you could do a segment on your training regimen and enjoyed your PNA power piece? Thank you so much, man. Um, yeah, you know what? Maybe I'll talk about that Friday <clears throat> on my channel. So Friday, 5 p.m. on my channel, Ontario Unboxing. I'll go live and we'll talk about the news of the week. We'll preview the, uh, the Spence, or sorry, the Ugas and Pacquiao fight uh, one last time. And maybe we'll go a little bit later because we'll do it after the weigh-in because I think the weigh-in is going to be at 5 o'clock Eastern. So maybe we'll go at 5.30 so we can talk about the weigh-in. But um, I'll talk about it then because I've been training very, very hard. I've been putting in a lot of work, man. And um, things are tightened up pretty, pretty well right now. So uh, I'm happy. And um, all the work is, is starting to show. It's starting to pay off. So, yeah, I'll talk about that. Absolutely, guys. Talk about it Friday on my channel, okay? Thanks a lot for the super chat, man. All right, let's go back to uh, this Pacquiao-Ugas undercard. Uh, Carlos Castro going up against Oscar Escondone in a featherweight fight. We got two featherweight fights on the undercard. So uh, Castro's uh, originally from Mexico, now fights out of Phoenix. You're seeing more and more fighters fighting out of Phoenix, which is cool. That's going to become a, nice, a little boxing hotbed there. You're seeing a few guys out of there right now. And Escondone out of Colombia has lost four of his last six going back to 2015. So obviously this is a, not I want to say brand building, but a learning on the job type of matchmaking for Castro to win. He's supposed to win this fight. Also another featherweight fight, Mark Magsayo, 22-0 a Filipino fighter, going up against Julio Ceja, who is a Mexican native and you know, fights out of Cali. My question is, why isn't, a Filipino kid and a kid out of Phoenix fighting each other. Why isn't Carlos Castro fighting Mark Maxayo? Why not? They're both undefeated. They're both prospects. You got a Filipino, a Mexican-American, both featherweights. Those two should be fighting each other. Why are they in showcase matchups? I just don't understand. I just don't understand. Oh. Anyway, the way these things come together, it's just agonizing sometimes. 
Anyway, let's talk about the main event. All right. Manny Pacquiao versus Jordana Sugas for the WBA. I, I don't even know what version of the fucking title it is anymore. I guess it's the super title. Welterweight title. Okay, cool. The weigh-in is at 2 p.m. Pacific time at the MGM Grand Garden Arena Friday, be 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. I want to know from you guys. I wanted to ask, who's going? Are any of you going to this fight? Are any of you going out to Vegas and going to this fight? I'd like to know. Please let me know in the chat here. I <laughs> see there's a uh there's a comment here, but Tang Hunter says, Rigondio or Rigondo social distancing. I love it. Yeah, that's pretty good, man. He definitely was social distancing. That is for damn sure. He was social distancing in that fight. But I want to know, who's going to Vegas for this one? Any of you guys going? If you are, please let me know. Because I always like to hear from you about, um, you know, if you're going, um, what your experience is like. I love hearing from you guys about your experience at the fights. All right. Pacquiao. Last fought in July of 2019, so it's been over two years when he beat Keith Thurman. And in fairness, Thurman did make a late push in that fight. And Pacquiao slowed down a little bit late. He started to look his age late in that fight. It looked spectacular early on in the middle rounds. Started to fade a little bit. His energy started to kind of dwindle a little bit in the later rounds of that fight. Thurman, a big physical welterweight who can punch. All right, so, so that mattered in that fight. Um, and I thought that was going to cost him against Spence. This matchup's a little different, though. All right, uh, he's going to turn 43 years old in December. Of course, we know he's a southpaw, five foot five, 67 inch reach. Ugas, three fights since that same time Pacquiao fought. So he also fought in July of 2019. He's had two fights since then. So Pacquiao, one fight. Ugas, three fights over the same time span. Okay, so Ugas definitely the more active fighter. Uh, just turned 35 years old. So it's not like he's a spring chicken. He's 35, but 35 versus almost 43. 35 versus, I was going to say 42 and a half, but it's even past that. It literally is almost 43 years old for Pacquiao. So um, he's an experienced guy in age and all that, but still the much younger man in this fight. He's also much taller, five foot nine versus five foot five, 69 inch reach. So he has a slightly longer reach. And he's an orthodox fighter, obviously, Pacquiao Southpaw. So there's going to be some bumping early on. There is a chance for headbutts, things like that. That's something to watch out for. Um, also, here's the key factor in this fight for me, okay? I do think Ugas is going to try to play spoiler. I do think he has the opportunity and the skill set to do so. He's one of these guys who's learned on the job. And there's an underrated... Um, underappreciated fighter by many. A lot of people felt that he beat Sean Porter, right? He took some losses earlier in his career, but he's learned and he's he's gotten better as he's gone. I really do believe that. He's a good quality operator, a quality, solid prize fighter. The thing he lacks is power. He has 12 knockouts, 12 stoppages, I should say, in 30 professional fights. And most of those stoppages were accumulation, a fighter retiring, the ref stopping it, something like that. Doesn't really have one punch knockouts on his record. Not many of them. Okay. So that's going to cost him in this fight. I thought Spence was going to have a late push like Keith Thurman did 
but Spence is better than Thurman. And Spence's power is overrated uh, by many, but he is an explosive fighter and has that burst uh, with, with his feet, you know, fast with his feet, burst explosiveness, and could get to Manny late and possibly stop Manny late, definitely control the later rounds. And I thought he was going to win the fight on the cards, possibly get a late TKO. With Ugas, he just doesn't have that power. And with this Manny, this version of Manny Pacquiao, you got to have that power to change the outcome of the fight. So I, I see this fight looking very similar to uh, Pacquiao's fight with Thurman in the sense that I think early on, Manny's angles, his explosiveness, his speed is going to surprise Ugas. There could even be a flash knockdown. Maybe not. Maybe Ugas will be very defensive-minded early on. Uh, Thurman was kind of asleep at the wheel. You know, he, he was kind of uh, just not paying attention early on and got caught. <clears throat> so maybe you won't get that flash knockdown, but I do think Pack is going to win some early rounds pretty decisively. But then as we go into the second half of the fight, where Pacquiao, like a normal 42-year-old, will start to fade. His energy will start to fade. I'm 42, and after several rounds of work, your energy starts to fade. It's just what happens to athletes as you age. So I can feel Manny's pain, okay, in this regard. Even though he's a special athlete, a special fighter, first battle Hall of Famer, all-time great, all those things, father time always wins. He will fade down the stretch, but Ugas does not have the power, the explosiveness to take advantage of that. And for that matter, I like Pacquiao to win this fight by decision. Uh, I think it's going to go to the cards, and I think Manny wins a decision. I do think Ugas will have some moments later in the fight when he starts to catch on to Manny's angles and speed. Manny's feet used to move from here to here, right? So for, for you guys listening on the audio, I'm uh, looking into the camera and, and my hand is at my right shoulder and I'm jumping over to my left shoulder. Manny could really get across a fighter's guard in an instant in his prime. Those angles are now narrower. He'll start on this shoulder and he'll get to about here. He'll get in range now. And that's why that's how he, he he can be caught. Those angles are not as wide. They're not as explosive as before. They're not as dynamic as before. Still better than 95% of fighters out there, just because Manny is so special. But his angles are not quite as sharp as they once were. So later on in the fight, I do think Ugas is going to have opportunities. I think he's going to land some counter punches. I think he's going to win some rounds and make things interesting. But down the stretch, Manny just too much, wins a decision, 116-112 something like that. It will look similar to, to the fight with Thurman. Um, that, that's just the way I see it. All right. Um, I think Spence would have beat Manny, but this is a much different matchup. And it ends up working out better for PBC because Pacquiao should win narrowly on the cards here. As Errol Spence heals, you go right into the Spence-Pacquiao fight early next year, Fox pay-per-view. Who knows if they're even going to be on Fox at the time, but uh, that's probably what we're going to get. All right. So, oh, Jose Serrano on the chat says Manny is being set up. Ooh, we have seen that before. I will say this. I'm going to put it out here. The WBA is involved. PBC is involved. 2021 is involved. 
<sighs> Who knows? Maybe something like that will happen. All right, guys, we're going to do calls very, very quick today. I'm only going to take a handful of calls. We're already at an hour, and I got some work to uh, catch up on. So we're going to do some quick, quick calls, and then we're going to we're going to jump off. All right, let's jump to the first one. All right, uh, 570, you're on the chat. What's going on? Hey, Mike, real quick here. Uh, just to clarify, when people say hit and not get hit, I think it's the worst cliche in boxing. Chris Bird versus David Tua. That was hit and not get hit. There you go. That doesn't mean you're not you're not getting hit. You're not getting hit with the guy's big shots. He twisted, turned, beat David Tua up. He just didn't get hit with a bomb to knock him out. Rigo ran. Mayweather ran against Pacquiao. That's not hit. That's getting hit. That's avoiding a fight. And in the past, you know, in the 1950s, you used to see fights stopped because of inactivity from other fighters. I think referees should take initiative and say, "Hey, Rigo, you got a fight, or I'm take taking point." I'm taking a point. And if that has to happen because boxing can't end up like Zahir Rahim versus Eric Morales. It's bad for boxing. Mm. It's a bad look. Yeah. So when people, you know, recite that cliche, keep it in perspective. Okay. Because there's a difference there. Um, number two, Virgil Ortiz, he showed exactly what I wanted to see. Resilience under fire. He got tagged in the second round. He didn't run. You know, he held on and he survived, but he fired back. Maybe not like Holyfield Bow, but he fired back and got respect, took over the fight in the third round, and then took care of business by the eighth. Now, that victory sets him up very well against Crawford. And again, there's no triangle theories here, but he did beat Kava more convincingly than Crawford. And that was Crawford's probably on paper his second best win. If I'm Ortiz's people, I make that fight with Crawford ASAP. And I say it like this, because the longer you wait, Crawford's going to lose. He's going to get exposed sooner or later. His stock is the highest it's ever going to be right now. He's 34 and he's like a, uh, a fighter that depends on uh, reaction time. So he's slowing down. He's going to get beat. You better make that fight quick. He hasn't had a fight in over a year. And he hasn't fought a real opponent in almost two or three years. So with that being said, Ortiz people step up to the plate, put your man in there right now. He's not in his prime, but he's good enough to be Crawford. And I'll bet money on that. And if you can't get Crawford in there, I would call out Boots Ennis. I would, I would make a statement because I know they're not going to fight him. But I would put it out there and say, hey, get your man in the ring. We want to have prospect versus prospect. And, uh, you know, and then see if they call the bluff. And if they do, then you fight him and you beat him because Dennis hasn't fought anybody either. But this guy's the goods. This guy's the real deal. He has, a, he has the best job in the welterweight division. And sometimes that's all you really need in this era to become a great fighter. We see Golovkin at middleweight, maybe one of the best jobs in middleweight history. And he dominates. He beat Canelo up with that jab in the first first fight. They didn't give it to him, but a jab in today's boxing is really all you need. Mm. Um, so it's 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 that simple. And and Crawford, I don't know if you have him beating Porter. I don't know if they're going to fight. I don't think they're going to fight. But I want to get your opinion on if if they are going to fight, and if they don't then Crawford has a responsibility to defend his belt because he should be a champion in recess right now. 
He hasn't fought a top 10 opponent in how long? You can't count Amir Khan and a shot Kell Brook as, as a uh, defense. You just can't. And I want to see some repercussions in boxing because this guy thinks he's a Hall of Famer right now, and a lot of his fans do too, which is a laugher, which is an absolute laugher. So, again, if you could address what I said about Ortiz's people getting Crawford in the ring now rather than later, um, I'd really appreciate it. So, thank okay. you. All right, Dad. Good stuff, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, I think um, – so Ortiz was asked – I think it was – was it Chris Mannix? One of the DAZN guys asked uh, Ortiz after he beat Cavaliowskis, uh, do you want to fight Terrence Crawford next? And he said, yeah, I'll fight Terrence Crawford. I'll fight anybody. And I think he means it. I really do think he means it. And um, Ter- I saw Terrence Crawford respond on Twitter saying, these guys always say my name, you know, blah, blah, blah. But Virgil Ortiz saw that, retweeted it and quoted it and said, hey, man, I was just answering a question they asked me. Right. Which is true. It's not like Ortiz, you know, brought up Crawford's name. So I thought that was a great way. And guys, guys, remember Ortiz is 23. When I was 23, if I would have saw somebody trying me like that, I would have responded like an asshole. I would have, you know, cussed him out. The maturity on this kid to, to say, Hey man, I was just answering a damn question. They asked me about you and I said, I'd fight you. That's basically what Virgil Ortiz said. And, you know, so in that particular uh, back and forth on Twitter, you know, Crawford, the more mature man, the older guy kind of looked like the douche and Virgil, the kid kind of looked like the more mature person uh, because what he said is very, very true. Anyway, I like, look, do I think Ortiz and Crawford are going to fight anytime soon? Hell no. I don't think so. Anything's possible. I'd love to see it, but I don't think so. I think what's more likely, well, let's talk about Crawford and Porter. It's been ordered. We're Bob's organization ordered it. So if Crawford wants to keep that belt, he's got to fight Porter. Now, if they can't make a deal, it goes to purse bid. If it goes to purse bid, anybody can bid. PBC could jump in and overpay. Uh, Eddie Hearn could jump in and overpay. Triller could jump in. I don't think they will. They learned their lesson. Although this is a bigger fight than the one they've, they've been on earlier this year. Um, but anything's possible. The, the doors can blow wide open. Anybody could get involved. And then who the hell knows? But Crawford cannot bail on this fight with Porter because it's been ordered by the sanctioning body. Porter and his team, they can bail. They'd lose their mandatory status or whatever, but they they can bail. We've seen that. Povetkin bailed against uh, Klitschko at one point. Remember that? Uh, for some of you younger guys, you may not remember that, but Alexander Povetkin was the mandatory, and Teddy Atlas was training him, and he said, look, dude, you're not ready for Vladimir. Vlad's going to destroy you. He, he just told him, honestly, you're not ready. And so they withdrew their mandatory status. And Vlad said, okay, whatever. So Porter can do that. Do I think he's going to do that? No, but would his management do that? Would PBC do that? Maybe. <laughs> it's hard to tell with those guys. So uh, I, I really don't know, dude, what's going to happen. I hope by the end of the year we see Crawford and Porter in the ring because I think that's a good fight. But at this point, I'm 55-45 on that fight happening. 55% it happens, 45% it doesn't happen. 
All right. Back to the phones we go. 901, you're on the show. What's up? Okay there, Mike. Uh, how you doing there, guy? Selon, what's oh, up, man? The Midwest Selon. How you doing? So I borrowed my cousin's phone there. I, uh, I was talking to him up here visiting my little cousin at the Jersey Shore, and uh, <laughs> I uh, heard some bad news. We were gonna, I was going to stick around for the weekend uh, to watch uh, Pacquiao's fence fight, and uh, he just told me the other day that uh, that your uh, Yorkist uh, Ugas is going to fight instead, and uh, and that fence. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I'm kind of getting apart. I'm just getting a little agitated here, Mike, because like, uh, look, my my little cousin wrestled for years. He, you know, he did all kinds of crazy things to get down to 103 pounds when he was 17, and you know, laxatives and all kinds of things like jumping rope in a sauna. But you know, I I I can't put a life of myself ever remember hearing nobody, uh, you know, cut, cut out of a fight because of a rectal tear. I I, I can't. <laughs> I just don't, I, I can't imagine. What are they doing there at Spencer's training camp? Yeah, that, that's that's some hard pounding training. Yeah, man, you, you're getting pounded I, I, in the you gym know, if I, you're tearing your rectum. That's some bad shit. Well, I, I just I just think it's kind of crazy. I mean, uh, I, I never heard of nothing like that happening before. And, uh, you know, a part of me is kind of shocked and a little freaked out. And, well, the other part of me is kind of relieved. I, you know, Pacquiao, it was been such a joy to watch, uh, you know, Pacquiao fight all these years and, uh, and just, you know, Spence was, the only thing Spence had for him was the, you know, a pretty horrific beatdown. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm kind of, you know, I'm a little bit relieved, but, uh, I, I'm also disappointed because, you know, I, I want to believe the impossible, to, you know, just like everybody else. Well, how you do? How you doing there, guys? <laughs> but you. I'm doing well, man. How you doing? It's been a while, bro. Yeah, you know, it's been I, a while I, I, since you I, called in. Well, you know, I've been trying to stay sober and like, uh, there you go, you there know, you I'm, go. Not, I'm not really, well, you know, I, I'm not sleeping in from work as much as I used to be. And, uh, so I didn't get to catch all the, uh, you know, the, uh, I, 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 I caught, I caught a kind of a, you know, a, a, a pretty potent, uh, specimen of female winning us the gold medal in the boxing. And uh, the wrestling just as well, you know, I kind of, I've been a fan of that. I, you know, I've been following uh, Bo Nickel and Kyle Snyder, you know, uh, for ages now. And uh, I'm kind of happy with how we did. And, uh, you know, I saw there was a fellow who looked kind of like, uh, my God, he's the biggest Filipino I ever seen. He he was fighting at middleweight. Uh, I mean, my God, I, I ain't never, you know, he's like three times the size of the average fellow over there, as far as I can tell. But he... You know, he he won the silver, I think, and uh, he, he, he eliminated some guy from. Yeah, yeah, you know how I'm talking about. He yeah. got a guy from Kajakistani and knocked him out. You know, he he flattened the son of a gun. I've never seen that before. <laughs> I'm gonna look up his name because I can't think of it right now. Uh, uh, Carlo Palab. Yeah, you know who Palab. Palab. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Palam was the uh, Palam's, uh, you know, kind of a regular weight. No, this, uh, the guy who uh, the guy who fought at middleweight was a freaking monster, as far as you know, uh, that uh, folks from the Philippines go. You know, humor Marcial, yeah, yeah, yeah. Humor Marcial. Yeah, yeah. He. Yeah. Uh, oh my God, he's a kind of a wrecking machine there. I, I see him. 
you know, I, 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 I see him taking some folks' heads off for a little while in the full rank soon. I hope he shows up there soon enough. And uh, how about that monster who beat the uh, Flores uh, Torres guy from the United States yeah. super heavyweight? Yeah, I want to see that guy in the what's, pros. What's, you know, well, he's already had some pro fights, right? Yeah. Yeah. I hear he's had about six fights already, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, what does that do what a guy do when he can't find sparring partners? He just punched polar bears or something? <laughs> he's I don't know, man. Yeah, he's he punches brick walls. Uh him and um better be if he's kind of got that kind of uh demeanor about him. So I can't wait for that dude to step it up. Yeah, that's gonna be fun. Yeah, except he's like twice the size of better be if, you know. This guy's a monster. Yeah, he's a freaking monster. He's absolutely a monster. So I can't I mean, wait to see him move up. Yeah, it looks Vladimir Klitschko looked like a bantamweight, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, there. So I, I, I don't know. I hope, uh, I hope uh, Spence don't. Uh, you know, I hope he gets well soon. I, I just don't know what to make of the, uh, the undercard there. I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of disappointed in the. You know, look, I all just like everybody else. I was hoping for, uh, you know, ten years or so ago that, you know, Ortiz and uh, Rios would fight each other and. Now they pull the switcheroo. Like I can't tell the difference between uh, Robert Guerrero and, and and Brandon Rios. Like, uh, am I just you know kind of dumb or something like that? You know what? What do eh, they think we are? Maybe fifty fifty. <laughs> they must think we're dumb, yeah, man, because they keep feeding us this shit and we keep showing up. So, yeah, it is what it is. Well, you know, I kind of. You know, if that was a, you know, I, I mean, I wouldn't pay for that as a main event, but like, uh, I just might have Ruben Guerrero was, uh, you know, it was the co-main. Yeah. Ruben Guerrero. That'd be fun to watch him fight. Uh, when, uh, Angel Garcia, uh, that would be fun. Yeah. You know, but that's a thriller. I'd watch. That. I, yeah. That'd be thrilling. I, I'll tell you that, you know, I, you know, it'd be, it'd be quite thrilling to watch that. You know, <laughs> I just, uh, you know, my dad can beat up your dad or something like that. Whoever exactly. thought it would really happen, you know? Exactly. You know, these guys, you know, I might even pay, you know, five ninety nine pay-per-view to watch that. $599. Damn, dude. You're balling. No, no. Five five dollars and ninety nine cents. Come on. Oh, you could buy a Milwaukee's you know, best can... for five ninety nine. <laughs> what beer do you well, drink? Mike, I'm trying not what, to what drink beer do you drink? Well, it depends if I'm in Michigan, if I'm, you know, in Michigan or uh, Wisconsin, it's old style. But if I'm in Chicago, it's light beer from Miller, you know, <laughs> everything you wanted in a beer and less. But I've been trying not to drink lately. And, uh, you know, so I, I you know, I, I if it's only five ninety nine, I got the rest of the ten dollars for Taco Bell. There you go, brother. <laughs> We're going to leave it. We're going to leave it there, man. I'm going to jump to this next okay, call, brother. You betcha. You betcha. All, okay, right. There. All right. All right. Right. There he goes. Midwest Sea Line. Hasn't been on the show in a while. Oh, man, I love it. Uh, feeling dangerous with the Super Chat. Thank you, brother. He says, uh, how about Chris Mannix ripping into the WBA? That was brutal. Love the show, Mike. Dude, you know what? I, I didn't see Chris's rant. I haven't seen it. So I need to check it out um, because I've heard that it was brilliant. I've heard that he really, really ripped into the BA pretty hard, more than anybody else any of the commentary people. So uh, I'd love to see it. So I'll find it. I will find it and I'll check it out. Um, 
Chris Bergen in the chat says uh, American beer sucks so bad, like drinking water. Chris, I have to agree with you, mate. Uh, it's the American beers are pretty bad. I, I pretty much don't drink American beer. Now growing up in Michigan, there was people like Midwest Ceylon there who was just on the, on the phone. Uh, there was oh, those older guys like from upstate and stuff like that, that would drink beer like that. Um, the Miller high life and the bud and the, the Budweiser and all that kind of, I just, there's no point to it. It's like 2% alcohol. It's just, you're just going to fart all night after drinking that shit. It just puts a gut on you. I like the European beers better. Um, they just get right to the point. They got a little more punch to them and they taste better. Ceylon's on the chat. He says, uh, my cousin is a freak, but he's how I fell in love with the sport. <laughs> I love it, man. Ceylon is a character. All right. One more call. I think we're going to do one more call here, guys. Uh, let's jump to. Let's jump to. If it will come up. Uh, 805. 805. You're on the show. Hey, Mike. What's going on? What's up, um, Nacho? Nothing much. Uh, just like you said, just want to touch on a few things you talked about. Um, yeah, the thing with Rigo. Good Lord, that was as a bad of a performance as I can remember a world-class fighter ever putting on yeah. in a main event, especially uh, for a title fight. Um, the thing that was just really um, annoying was at the very end when they interviewed him, he literally acted like he could care less what yes. fans or the media thought of his performance. And that's the part that should make uh, Espinosa and the PBC stand up and say, well, why the hell are we giving this? this dude opportunities if he's literally just going to throw it back in our face with the way he just performed the other night. So I really hope they take notice of that and, and think long and hard about putting him in a main event next time or in a big fight next time. Um, and then uh, the other card um, with uh, Ortiz, uh, I love that kid. I love the way he fights. I honestly think that he might not be ready just yet for Crawford, but I love the fact that he's willing to take him on no matter what. I honestly would rather see him fight, um, you know, a guy like David Avanesian. I think a guy like that would really, um, mm. you know, bring out a, a little more, uh, you know, a little bit more of a test before you take on a Crawford. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think the kid's that far away from a title shot. It's just a matter of time. Eventually, he's going to get a title shot uh, yeah. at somebody. Who that is, um, I'm not sure, but somebody eventually is going to have to face him if they want to keep their belt. Um, and then uh, with uh, the, the the Franco Maloney card, I, I have to give uh, Franco a lot of credit. I really did not think that he was going to come out and do, do what he uh, did the other night against Maloney. I thought Maloney was going to figure out a way to just basically stay outside and outbox him and win a decision. But you got to give Franco credit. He was able to, um, you know, get in there, hit Maloney to the body, hit him with combinations um, up and down. And he basically made Maloney uncomfortable uh, to the point that I had never seen Maloney literally sprint across the ring to, to hug a guy in order to avoid not getting hit to the body. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really a bad sign for, Maloney when he did that uh during the fight but good 
good thing that Jack Reese uh, called him out on it and said, hey, you can't be doing that. If you do, I'm going to start deducting points. Right. So at that point, he had no uh, he had no relief as far as uh, being able to do anything about it. And, and Franco took over and good for him. He gets a little redemption after being, uh, you know, crucified for the uh, phantom. Uh, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, phantom punch or headbutt in his eye. And it kind of ruined the second fight. But at least he redeemed himself um, Saturday and he got his second win over Maloney. So I think that would definitely uh, silence a lot of the critics. And then uh, just uh, regarding the fight this weekend, my God, that card is awful. Uh, Mike, I really don't understand what they're thinking, bringing two relics of the past with uh, Victor Ortiz and Robert Guerrero. I mean, I hate to say it, but one of those guys is seriously going to get hurt. Yeah, Like they're both washed up. And I would hate to see one of them end up, you know, going to the hospital after the fight. But I think that's what's going to happen. One of these dudes is going to get seriously hurt, and it's going to be a bad look for the PBC putting that fight on. Neither one of those guys belongs anywhere near a ring at this point. They're both done, and they're just being used as uh, cannon fodder. I mean, granted, it's against each other, but, yeah, it's just a bad look. Um, and then with the uh, main event, um, I agree as far as, like, I think you're right. I think Manny's going to figure out a way to, you know, do enough to win a decision. But I agree. he His age is starting to catch up to him, and you just don't see the same Manny you saw seven, eight years ago where he could throw those five, six-punch uh, flurries yeah. and get in and out on guys, and guys just had no answer for that. He's starting to slow down, and in the Thurman fight, you definitely saw it, like, the last three rounds of that fight, it looked like he was laboring just to be able to get to the finish line. Um, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think he's going to have a really good gas tank for about eight, nine rounds. And then at that point, it's going to be on Ugas if he's still in the fight to really press uh, Manny the last few rounds. And then who knows, maybe he ends up pulling off an upset, but I don't think so. I just think, like you said, his lack of power is going to be the one thing that I think stops him from getting the win. So I think, uh, I think Manny, like you said, wins a decision like eight to four as well. And yeah, that's my call, Mike. Good shit, Nacho. Like, like always, brother. Thanks. Good stuff, man. All right, man. Yeah. Have a good one. All right, guys, that is it, man. We are done. Uh, C by in the chat says, Ugas via upset. All right, you're on the record. Yeah, on the record. For me, I like pack 116, 112, guys. That's the way I see it. All right. Wrap it up. We'll see you guys Friday over on my channel. Like I said, I might go a little bit later because I think the weigh-in's going to be at 5, so maybe I'll do the show at 5.36. Just look for it. You'll see it out there. If you're subscribed, you'll get the notification. All right, guys. Uh, Have a great day. Enjoy the rest of your week. I'll see you Friday. And uh, until then, have a good one.